play ball. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. If you've never listened before, this show touches on a lot of topics. We've often focused on defense or analytics, but we're always trying to view the game in a different way. We try to be entertaining as much as we can, too. We hope that you're doing well wherever you are and that this show can provide a respite from all the things we're dealing with related to coronavirus. No monologue on this episode. We'll go right to our guest today, Wall Street Journal national baseball writer Jared Diamond, author of the new book Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution, published by William Morrow. So in February, we had uh, Wake Forest baseball coach Tom Walter on the show talking about pitching biomechanics. This book talks about the biomechanics of hitting, but also what I would like to call the humanity of hitting. Uh, I'll explain what I mean in a second. Jared, welcome. What's the biggest takeaway you want someone to get from reading your book? Well, I'm glad that you called it the humanity of hitting because I'm certainly not qualified to write a hitting manual. And that's, I feel like, one thing I've been trying to sort of stress to people as I've gone about sort of talking about this book is that this is really about the people uh, who are changing baseball, not about uh, how necessarily the body works. I'm not a scientist, uh, but I've learned a lot about sort of how swings work and what the ideal swing should be. And uh, you know, there's a lot of things that surprise me about working on the book that I'm sure we'll get into. But if I had to pick one, I would say it's uh, how simple, simplistic the qualifications were for coaching in Major League Baseball uh, until recently. I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but I assumed, and I think many people would, that the best hitting coaches in the world are the coaches in Major League Baseball. And if there were better ones, they would be the ones working in Major League Baseball. Uh, that turned out maybe not to be the case. Yeah, one of the things that I'm getting, and I'm about 120 pages into the book, is that these people that you're profiling in the story, they are kind of, I guess, they're experts without the master's degrees. They've embraced biomechanics without the language, but they're able to impart it in a way that doesn't get too complicated with the jargon. Uh, What did you learn about these people? Uh, you maybe want to tell us about one or two along the way. And what did you learn about the communication aspect that goes into uh, getting someone to adjust their swing to be more likely to hit a home run? Absolutely. So what the book really focuses on are some of these outside hitting coaches, guys who never played Major League Baseball or Pro Baseball, never coached it, yet have had the opportunity to work with Major League players and help make them better. Uh, really spark major, major turnarounds in superstar players, guys like J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner and many, many others over the last few years. And what these guys did, uh, they all come from a similar place, which is uh, they played baseball and failed pretty early and were sort of haunted by that and desperately wanted to know why they failed and, how they, and, and what they were doing wrong because they felt like they did everything their coaches told them to do and it wasn't working. Uh, and what these guys started doing, and, and I'll talk about, I think, the most interesting of all of them, which is Craig Wallenbrock, which is a name that some of your listeners might know. He's sort of become somewhat of a household name in the baseball world. He had the opportunity to throw batting practice to major league hitters uh, going back uh, in the 70s and 80s, guys that he grew up with around the neighborhood. And he had this, at the time, radical idea of filming them. I'm going to, he bought an old video camera that was probably the size of a, you know, a small bicycle and uh, started filming these guys taking batting practice. Uh, that was crazy at the time. No one did that in the seventies. And 
he would watch the film and go back to some of these hitters and say, well, what are you doing there with your elbow? What are you doing with your shoulder? Uh, why are you making that move or this move? And the hitter would look at him and go, well, I don't do that. And he would say, well, it's right here on the tape. Let me show you. And they'd say, I don't need to see the tape. Uh, I know what I did. I, I played, I'm a major baseball player. I, I don't need video. Only, you know, you need video because you failed. But players like me, we don't need it. And at some point, Craig Wallenbrock recognized, well, uh, we're no longer going to listen to what these guys say. We're just going to actually look at what they do and try to teach that and try to mimic that and try to emulate that. And what we learned and what guys like Craig Wallenbrock learned is that what hitters often think they do and what they actually do is sometimes very different, uh, first of all. And it became this obsession with trying to understand not what people think they, they do when they swing, but what they're actually doing and then figure out a way to teach that. And that led Craig Wallenbrock ultimately to work with some stars over the years, uh, often in secret. He worked with guys like Paul Canerco, Ryan Braun, Chase Utley, Michael Young. While these guys in some cases were major league hitters, he worked with them and made them better. Uh, no one knew about it for many, many years. Uh, but that's what was happening because, because there was a better way, a better way in many cases than what was being taught in major league baseball. I want to uh, draw a parallel to something that uh, is current and Dr. Fauci uh, talking about communicating and explaining things and saying that you just have to be consistent and keep putting in front of people with, I guess, a dogged determination and a confidence that you know that you're right and keeping the message the same in the end over and over and over again. And I feel like that that kind of is, is what these guys are, are doing, right? Like that that's the, the way that they're able to essentially break through to someone like uh, Marlon Bird or Justin Turner or J.D. Martinez or Aaron Judge, right? Yeah, what these guys are doing is pressing on this message over and over and looking for ways to impart it in such a manner that the player will not just understand but embrace uh, and that's not easy to do with major league hitters, guys that have been good hitters their whole life, guys that are set in their ways. It's not easy to tell someone, hey, you, we have to redo everything, which is what Craig Wanbrock told J.D. Martinez. He said, J.D., we have to redo everything you've ever done. We have to redo it from scratch. I mean, that's crazy to think about uh, saying to a major league hitter, but that's what, that's what Craig Wallenbrock did. Uh, and it just did involve determination and a lot of people ignoring him and saying you were crazy but being so convinced in your convictions that eventually people would listen. And people did eventually listen. It just took uh, a lot longer than perhaps it should have. When you talk to the players, uh, did any of them have a particularly amusing response to the idea of, uh, hey, I was wrong, and uh, boy, I was stubborn, and, and it's kind of changed me in that I'm, I'm not as stubborn anymore on something like that? Well, the story of J.D. Martinez to me is probably the most fascinating in the entire book. Uh, he is just an absolutely incredible case of what happened to him. J.D. Martinez, uh, as we all probably remember, was a sort of fringy outfielder for the Astros uh, for a while, really wasn't making much progress, really was struggling. Uh, and then 2013 comes around, and he's not having a great year. He could sort of see the writing on the wall. But another Astro was having a really good year, Jason Castro, who – uh, still plays, still a big leaguer. Things with the Angels now, pretend, perhaps. I can't keep track anymore. I don't even know what's happening <laughs> in baseball right now. Uh, and he was having a great year, and his swing looked really weird in the eyes of J.D. Martinez. And he would ask him, hey, man, like, what are you doing? How is this working? And Jason Castro said, hey, I have this guy in California. 
who taught me this. You know, he, he, he's just this guy who works out of a warehouse in Southern California. He never played baseball after junior college, but the guy's a hitting wizard. And J.D. Martinez, like many people, said, uh, that sounds ridiculous and kind of ignored it. Uh, time goes on. J.D. Martinez is on the injured list later in 2013. Got a lot of time in, on his hands. And he's sort of watching video and working out and doing whatever you do when you're on the injured list. Uh, and it was good timing because it turned out this was not long after Ryan Braun had been suspended for PEDs. It was sort of the story in baseball for a few years. So they were sh- showing his clips of his at-bat sort of on endless loop on MLB Network and ESPN. And one day, J.D. Martinez is sort of in the, in the video room, in the workout room, looks up at the TV, and oh my God, he sees Ryan Broad hitting, and it has this epiphany. That is the exact same swing that Jason Castro had. It is the same swing. And it, it blew his mind. So after that night's game, he runs back to Jason Castro and says, all right, remember how I, I totally ignored you and told me about that guy in California? Uh, what's that guy's name again? Mm-hmm. He tells him, calls him that night. Uh, when the season ended in 2013, J.D. Martinez didn't go home to Florida. He got on a plane at the Houston airport, flew right to L.A. to go work with Craig Wallenbrock. And the kicker to that story, which is a great story, is when J.D. Martinez gets to Craig's facility in Southern California, he walks in, sees a bunch of pictures on the wall. One of them is Ryan Braun, signed saying, I, I couldn't have done this without you. So uh, he didn't even know at the time that Ryan Braun and Jason Castro had literally learned that swing from the same person. But when he walked in and saw that picture, he knew he was in the right place. How, how much um, of a, like an educational background do some of these guys have uh, that, are, that are doing the teaching? It's interesting. They all come from different backgrounds. Craig Wallenbrock specifically is sort of like a, an autodidact in a way. He, he is a very interesting individual who, while talking about hitting, will often talk about uh, samurais and Eastern literature and uh, big cats stalking prey and folk music from the 50s and 60s, and random books he's read. Like He's just kind of a fascinating guy, but he never was truly a teacher, at least by trade. Now, others are. Uh, I write in the book a lot about uh, a coach that Aaron Judge worked at, Richard Schenck is his name. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about Richard because uh, I don't want to spoil the book. He's uh, probably, uh, if I had to describe the villain of the book, it's Richard Schenck. He's... Uh, a very controversial guy who had the opportunity to work with Aaron Judge and really helped him out. Richard Shank was a, a teacher uh, in a high school, not for a long time before sort of making his way into the hitting world. But uh, the consistency, the consistent thing about all these guys is what you brought up, that communication, the ability to explain something that's complicated in a simple way. I think what major league teams have finally started to realize after all of these years is that playing and coaching and teaching are not the same skill. And just because you were a good player does not mean you'd be a good teacher. And like the best proof of that is Ted Williams himself. You know, Ted Williams was a manager uh, for a while with the Washington Senators and the Texas Rangers. Uh, I talked to a couple of players who worked with Ted Williams, who played for him back then. And one thing that came up was that Ted Williams would get frustrated trying to explain hitting to current players. They, they, he basically would say, well, just do what I do. And they would say, I can't do what you do. You're Ted Williams. I can't really understand what you do. You have to explain it in a way that I understand it. And he couldn't do it. Uh, it took some other people to figure out, figure out what Ted Williams actually did. And then the next step, 
figure out how to explain it in a digestible way. It's funny that you that you bring up Ted Williams. Um, my father had a conversation with him once. He was kind of he was very in a fortunate place at the right time. And Ted Williams, he found to be very stubborn uh, and was very insistent at the time that Greg Jeffries was the closest thing to him that he had ever seen. Um, so it's it's interesting. Uh, like I was laughing when you when you brought up Ted Williams in the book, uh, the way that you brought him up. Now there's some guys that that can teach it. There's some. Uh, hitting coaches that have been stars, but for the most part, uh, it's true. It, it's not necessarily uh, the superstar guy. I want to transition to, to something else, though, because um, you've done some reporting on some other topics. And uh, how much of this, what we would call the launch angle revolution, uh, is a product of the change in approach in swing or a product of the change in the design of the baseball? Well, look, they definitely work hand in hand. It's impossible to talk about this without talking about the baseball. And I don't know if we're ever going to know the real true truth about the ball and why it's doing what it's doing and exactly uh, what's going on. But what we do know is there, there have been reports put out by these scientists, Alan Nathan's group and Lloyd Smith and all these really smart people. Their last one came out in December. And what they concluded uh, was that 60% of the home run increase in 2019 was caused by the ball and 40% was called, was caused by what they described as a change in launch conditions, which basically is uh, the swing. That's basically what that means. It it means, guys, how they swung the bat. Uh, And they work hand in hand, right? It's hard to have one without the other because you have a ball that is more aerodynamic. Uh, It's cutting through the air like a hot knife through butter. So, of course, it makes sense that players are even more incentivized to hit the ball in the air because if you do, you're more likely to be rewarded. But the reality is hitting the ball in the air as opposed to the ground has been the ideal approach for virtually all of baseball history. Uh, and I say virtually all because in the dead ball area era, that was not the case. In the dead ball era, you wanted to hit the ball on the ground. The ball wasn't designed to travel far. Uh, infielders didn't wear gloves for much of that time. And uh, if you look through, and you would know this better than I, the seasons with the most errors in baseball history were like all the <laughs> earliest seasons of baseball. So you were incentivized to hit the ball on the ground then. But for most of baseball history, hitting the ball in the air has always been ideal. You know, I, go, I, I bring up this number a lot. Since 2015, Major League hitters have hit 247 with a 269 slugging percentage on balls on the ground. On balls in the air, that batting average goes to 406 and the slugging percentage is 787. Uh, that's not just because of the makeup of the baseball. Uh, that's because, as, as people say, slug is, is in the air, not on the ground. Okay, so there are now teams that weren't embracing this, I think, before, and the, the teachings of the Wellenbrocks and the other people that you brought up, uh, that I, I get the feeling are embracing it much more now. Uh, who have you found to be um, accepting of it, I guess, so to speak? I wish you were like, I wish I could like say something that would really surprise people to answer this question, but surprisingly, it's not going to be a surprise. It's the teams that seem to always win every year are the teams that seem to be most embracing it. Uh, the team that I would say is at the, has the most sophisticated hitting program in all of Major League Baseball is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, what they've done uh, organization-wide in terms of hitting is remarkable. Uh, Craig Wallenbrock now works with the Dodgers. He is basically uh, – everything sort of operates from his perspective, and he sort of oversees their minor league hitting program. Their major league hitting coach, as we know, is Robert Van Skoyak. Well, who's Robert Van Skoyak? He was Craig Wallenbrock's mentee, uh, sort of his protege for years. 
had a big hand in fixing J.D. Martinez along with Craig. He now is their hitting coach. Brant Brown is sort of the assistant hitting coach for the Dodgers. He used to hit with Craig Wallenbrock back in the 90s. So the Dodgers, what they've done is really uh, remarkable. Uh, the Yankees are a team that I think have, has, have taken big strides in their hitting program, have been very creative in some of their hires looking in interesting places. Uh, but I do think it's starting to change. You know, one thing that I, that's happened in the two plus years I've been working on the book was uh, as the word got out, I was working out it, on it. I would say no fewer than three to five uh, general managers or top baseball ops people approached me and said, who should we hire? If you, you know, who should we look into hiring? Uh, who's sort of at the forefront of what's going on? And I, I'm not sure if I could say which teams those were uh, necessarily, but the reality is uh, teams are taking notice. And you, I think you're going to see more and more interesting hires over the next few years. I like the idea that you're an expert uh, in this now from having done what you've done, but also the aspect of the book that's kind of uh, a secondary underlying theme to this is the participatory journalism aspect of it, which I never would have had the courage to do. But you (laughs) tried to use swing teachers to try to fix your swing so that you could get a base hit in the annual, what they call the Journalism World Series, played between the New York baseball writers and the Boston writers at Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. What did you get from being in the pupil's shoes? Yeah, that was a fascinating experience. And I, I don't think the book actually would have worked without that idea. When I started working on like the proposal of the book, that wasn't part of it. It sort of occurred to me as I was going through the proposal process, like, hey, I have access to these like brilliant people. I should probably like take advantage of it. Uh, and I did, and it was a blast. So I had obviously not played baseball regularly since I was 18 years old. So I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen when I got back in the cage. Uh, what I learned was, one, uh, everything I had ever been taught from my high school coaches uh, was, if not wrong, at least somewhat misguided and not at least the most modern way of thinking about things. The other thing I learned is and sort of realized is how much technique really matters. Like, yes, natural ability is crucial. You can't just turn someone into a major league hitter. You need uh, to be born with it to an extent. But the amount of progress one could make with better technique is remarkable. And I got, I got to hit with Bobby Tewksbury in his, in his cage in New Hampshire. Bobby Tewksbury worked with Josh Donaldson, uh, among others. And we got hooked up to a hit tracks machine, which sort of tracks your exit velocity and your launch angle and all this other stuff. My first swing with Bobby Tewksbury that day, I think with this, my exit below was about 60, 62 miles per hour. Uh, not exactly major league stuff. <laughs> By the time I left the cage that day, it was closer to 80 miles an hour. Now, granted, that's still not going to get me anywhere in terms of a major league contract anytime soon. But that's like a 20-mile-an-hour increase over the course of like two hours. Uh, I was in one day. So imagine if I had done it every single day for for a whole offseason or for months, the way some of these major league hitters did. Uh, It sort of opened my eyes to just how powerful technique really is. How many swings do you think it would it would take? Well, I guess major league player versus you to get to a point of feeling like like it's automatic for you. Well, in the case of a guy like Justin Turner or, jo- or uh, JD Martinez, it was one very intensive off season. Basically, it was every day for two three months. Uh, now, granted, they were coming from a much stronger basis than I was. These are guys that have athletic ability, and uh, it's impossible to overstate or understate the importance of just having like that hand-eye coordination 
and that sort of natural strength. Like these guys' bodies sort of just know how to organize, right? Where mine does not. Uh, that became very clear. Like my body does not know how to organize itself naturally in a way that uh, leads to good success. But, you know, if I did it every day for two or three months, again, I'm not saying I'd hit 100 miles an hour on the exit below, but I think I really could have gotten a lot better. Uh, and guys like Justin Turner went from being fringe major leaguers to being star major leaguers in one off season working on this. So uh, the effect could really be major and it takes time, but not necessarily years either. Jared Diamond, uh, last, last thoughts here. Give us um, your favorite anecdote from the book. Well, I told one already, okay. which was uh, the J.D. Martinez, uh, incredible J.D. Martinez sort of wild story. Uh, but if I had to pick one more, goodness. All right, let's talk about, uh, well, we talked a little about Ted Williams, but let's, let's talk a little bit more about Ted Williams, talk about uh, Mike Bryant, uh, which is the name that may not be familiar to everybody. Mike Bryant uh, was a Red Sox prospect uh, for a couple of years. He was obsessed with Ted Williams, with a Red Sox fan, grew up in Massachusetts, uh, and he received the science of hitting as a gift when he was a child uh, from his mom and became his Bible. Well, one day the Red Sox had an opportunity to have him actually go work with Ted Williams. It absolutely blew his mind. He had to go chance to work with his hero. He said the night before he met Ted Williams, he read the science of hitting three times uh, just to make sure that he had it all sort of squared away in his head before he met him. Well, he went to go work with Ted and it was incredible to him, but it didn't quite work out for Mike Bryant. He only lasted two years in the major leagues, but he vowed that he was going to, if he ever had a child, he was going to teach that child how to hit like Ted Williams. Then you might know by now who that child was. That child was Chris Bryant, uh, who did pretty well for himself with a swing that uh, would be considered pretty radical by many. So Ted Williams from the grave is still having an enormous impact on the current uh, crop of hitters. The book is Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution, published by William Morrow and available from booksellers everywhere. Uh, Ideally, you can find it online. Uh, Jared, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I know these are tough times and it's kind of a weird time to be talking about promoting a book, but I hope that for those who are in the position to check it out, it provides sort of a taste of the game that we're all really missing right now in these tough times. Absolutely. This wraps up this episode of the SIS Baseball Podcast. I should point out for those of you that have listened regularly, my cohort, Andrew Kine, has left our company. He got a job with the Cincinnati Reds, and we wish him the best. For Jared Diamond and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Please support people who need it in any way you can during this tough time. We'll see you down the road. Check out our newest baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, out March 1st. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. That's Fielding Bible Volume 5, available at actasports.com, that's A-C-T-A sports.com, or wherever you buy your books online. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 